Well, isn't that awesome? Two weeks ago, three people were planned to be baptized, two were spontaneous, just part of God at work in this church family that you help make happen. Let me tell you a story from uh, 2013, 2014, I can't remember, when we were in the middle of boom times here, and sometimes uh, traffic would get incredibly congested, and I'm thinking some of you won't have heard this story, but many of you will, because I've, I've told it before, but I kind of want to tell it again, because it fits as a great way to introduce the Jesus story that we'll be looking at today. And hey, we've been going uh, seven weeks now looking at various stories about Jesus from the Gospels, the, the accounts of Jesus written by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So far, we've looked mostly at stories from Matthew and Mark. These stories are awesome. They touch us deep down. They, they show us how much Jesus loves us and how he wants to touch, heal, and transform our lives for the better. I've been loving putting this series together, as Lucas has as well, and and you've been getting, you've been giving us some really encouraging feedback, and you, you've been, uh, yeah, it's just been good, and it's it's going to be good for the rest of the summer because stories about Jesus, it's the bedrock of our faith. And, and today we're going to take a look at two spectacular stories of healing from Mark chapter five. Mark combines these two healings into one story where he just connects. Uh, two very different kinds of healings uh, together. Now, when I prepare a message, I, I'm often reading and listening to a lot of different stuff, but today I want to acknowledge that I am using some stuff from J.D. Greer, who currently happens to be president of the Southern Baptists. Uh, he's kind of a brilliant guy, so I grabbed some thoughts from him. But let me get back to my bumper-to-bumper traffic story. It was bumper-to-bumper exiting from Confederation Drive south to Highway 63. Something I'd long learned about Fort McMurray is that if you're polite in traffic, most everyone else will be polite to you. If traffic is merging, cars that have been in line uh, waiting patiently will let each other go, uh, merge respectfully. Coming from Ontario, this was a whole new uh, experience. Here in Fort McMurray, there tends to be a gracious give and take to traffic flow when things get all bogged up. So on this morning, as I kind of hit the height of morning traffic heading south in the city and, and, and south to the sit, site south of the city, uh, and there was construction going on, we were moving very slowly as two lanes merged together. It was a slow but very orderly and polite experience. That was until this guy in an F-150, and I don't know if this is a Ford owner thing or not. I'm, I'm just pretty sure that Dodge guys wouldn't be so rude, but that aside, that this guy pulled out of his bumper-to-bumper lane, quickly veered to the left as if he were going to take the exit north, only to quickly do a right on the bypass exit. All of a sudden, everyone realized that Mr. F-150 guy was going to cut into the line well in front of the rest of us. Little did he know what was about to happen, because when he tried to get back into traffic, uh, as he tried to cut in front of us, everyone kind of closed ranks together and wouldn't let him in. Yeah, awesome. The guy in that F-150 got frustrated and started to honk his horn, only to get the ire of a guy a little bit in front of me in this big rig. The big rig not only honked back, but he opened the driver's door, and while this guy was ripped, he swung all of his body up while he kept his hand on the steering wheel. Now, the vehicle was stopped, so this is semi-safe. And uh, as the big rig guy looked up at the F-150, or looked down on the F-150 guy, he made a fist, gave him the finger, and with incredible volume, told him where he could go. You know that place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth? Again, it was awesome, and everyone loved it, and everyone started to honk in approval. 
And I don't know if this is a good thing or a bad thing, but I smiled and said to myself, yeah, I love living in this city. Yeah. Now, it took me maybe five to ten minutes, I don't quite remember, to get past that F-150 guy. And, by the way, no one dared let him in or we would all be toast, right? It was little pressure going on there. And I don't know how long he had to wait or if he ever got in, but he, I, he was, I was long gone by, by that. But in Fort McMurray, lines are to be respected. Respect the line and we'll work together to get us all through. Cut in and you'll be cut out, right? Just so awesome. And I use this to introduce our Jesus story because today we're going to look at a story of someone who cut in on the line to get to Jesus. Well, what she did seemed rude. I mean, if she were in Fort McMurray, we just might push her to the end of the line. But Jesus' reaction is strange and unexpected. And while I wouldn't suggest doing this at the drive through or lining up uh, inside of Tim Hortons, I think there are some really important things for us to learn about faith here. But talking about Tim Hortons, I was in my office when this happened. It was a sight to behold. Parking is really tight at Tim Hortons over there, and this guy figured out how to get one more vehicle in. Good for him. But anyways, let's get back and get going with the, the, today's Jesus story. What, what I want us to see today is the kind of faith that Jesus responds to and what Jesus wants from us when he doesn't seem to be responding. I'm sure you've all experienced a time when Maybe you were seeking Jesus and he just didn't seem to be responding. Uh, that's what happens in, in today's story. We'll, we'll start by reading uh, Mark 5, verses 22 and 23, so you can follow on the screen or you can use your Bible app on your phone or a paper Bible, whatever works for you. But let's read then. One of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with them, my, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. Well, what Jarius did there, it's just way out of sync with what the culture of his day thought was normal. Because grown men don't plead. Particularly a leader, a religious leader does not plead. He, he just stays in control. Men of authority in the days of Jesus didn't show emotion. It was shameful to show emotion. You know, and that's been true for centuries. I, I think it's only been in the last generation or so that it's been okay for men to show emotion. And, and back then, for a ruler, a, a religious leader to bow down, go prostrate before another man, man, that's unheard of. But hey, when your little girl is dying, you see things differently, right? And you'll do whatever it takes to get the help that you need. And, and you dads, right? You understand. This is a dad whose girl means the world to him, and he's going to do whatever it takes. Let's keep reading. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. <clears throat> and a woman was there who'd been subject to bleeding for 12 years. And by the way, that's just a polite way to say that this girl had an uncontrollable menstrual flow. It means that she was sick and likely in pain. It would have meant that she was unable to have children, which was a big deal in Jewish culture. And an even bigger deal was that according to Jewish law, she was ceremonially unclean. Unclean. So she wasn't allowed to go to public worship like what we're doing right now. She's not supposed to be in crowds. No one would ever touch her. So for 12 years, no one hugged her or laid a hand on her to pray for her. She is an outcast. She is lonely. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. 
Any money she had, any money her family had, was all spent on trying to get various doctors to cure her, but nothing has worked. And the story, some think, is a little hard on doctors because it appears that she may have been taken advantage of by a few doctors, taking money only to give her a cure that made things worse. But the picture you get is a woman who has all but given up hope and is very desperate. And I want you to see something else here. Mark is very intentional in how he tells the story. And maybe, if those of you who have been part of this series, you'll remember that Mark gets his material from the Apostle Peter. Peter is the source, the eyewitness, uh, and Mark is the writer. Notice that this woman here is given no name. But then Jairus, we get his name. I mean, everyone knows his name. Mark wants us to see the contrast between this woman with no name and Jairus, the ruler of the synagogue, who is very well known. This guy has a status position in the synagogue. Everyone knows who he is. In contrast, this woman is not allowed in the synagogue. The guy is respected. The woman is rejected. And and interestingly, um, uh, he's got a daughter who is 12 years old, and she's been sick for 12 years. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Jesus has a growing reputation as a compassionate healer. She's heard the stories, and a combination of fear and faith starts to rise up in her. Maybe, just maybe, Jesus will heal me. But at the same time, she knows she's not supposed to go out in public, and certainly she'd never touch someone else because she would make them unclean according to Jewish law. But she's desperate. And so she takes the risk, fights her way through the crowds, keeps her face down so no one will recognize who she is. And as she makes her way to Jesus, she touches his clothes. Immediately, her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized the power had gone out from him. I mean, this is fascinating because it looks like Jesus is not in control of his power that the power just went out from him because of a touch. Now, let me just say, Jesus knows what's going on, but what he, what Mark wants us to see, he wants us to see the love and the faithfulness of Jesus, that that Jesus responds to faith so consistently that it might as well just be kind of an automatic reflex. I mean, think about that. It's a powerful thought. Jesus responds to faith so consistently that it's, just an automatic reflex. And then he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? Now, what do you think? Does Jesus not really know? Hey, he's God. He can figure this out. So here's what I think Jesus is doing. He wants the woman to come forward and publicly confess what she's done, publicly confess her faith. God wants to go public with great acts of faith. This is the way that God gets the glory and other people are encouraged to trust Jesus. And this, by the way, is why baptism is so important. Um, That's why we show the baptism videos. Why baptism? Because you're not supposed to keep your love for Jesus private. You're supposed to declare it. And by the way, if you're interested in baptism, just let us know and we'll figure out a time. But baptism, it's, it's good for you to declare your faith publicly and it, it's good for everyone else. It, it so encourages everyone else. Same when you get an answer to prayer, a miracle, a healing. Don't stay private about it. Let it go public. 
let us know and maybe we can tell your story if you're comfortable. It's good for you and it raises the faith of the rest of us. So if God's turned up in a special way in your life, let us know. Let's, let's celebrate with you and give God the glory. Mark continues to tell a story and, well, the disciples are not coming off as the brightest dudes around. They think Jesus really doesn't know who touched him. They're slow to figure out who Jesus really is. And when Jesus asks, who touched me? They go, come on, Jesus, you, you see the people crowding against you, and yet you can ask, who touched me? I think the disciples have the amazing ability sometimes to fill the silence with stupidity. I mean, as if Jesus doesn't know he's got crowds around him, right? And these disciples, these guys, they're the chosen leaders for this new movement Jesus is creating the church. You know, that's another amazing thing about Jesus. You don't have to be the best, the smartest, or even have the most faith before Jesus will use you to do great things. The disciples were just ordinary, everyday, regular guys, flawed like all of us. And in the end, Jesus did extraordinary things through them. Same deal for you. Jesus will take you just as you are and start to move and work through you. And it can be incredibly amazing what he will do in and through your life. Back to the story. But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, a little bit of fear, right, uh, told him the whole truth. Because think how terrifying this moment must be for this woman. This scorned, alienated woman who is not supposed to be out in public is being called out by Jesus to go public with what just happened. And she's got to be wondering, will Jesus reject me too? Will he publicly shame me? He knows I'm not supposed to be here. Well, what happens next is just huge. I mean, don't miss this. This is big. Let, let me start by asking this question. What is it like to be exposed in all of your mess, your guilt and shame before a holy God? I mean, think about that. Everything that's in you, just pour it out there before a holy God. This is powerful. Then Jesus said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed her, has healed you. This woman is full of fear and faith at the same time, who thinks she might, uh, this might all shame her. Jesus calls her daughter. It's a term of affectionate, intimate endearment. It was never used of a person that you didn't know. And, and this woman is the only woman we know of who Jesus called daughter. The girl nobody wanted has just been called a precious daughter by the ultimate father. The woman with the name no one knew is precious and well known to God. Do you see the contrast? Jairus is a dad who was pleading the cause of his daughter before Jesus. But this woman has no father. So Jesus becomes her father. This is so cool. This is why people all around the world love Jesus, right? To Jairus, Jesus will be the healer, and Jesus does love to heal. But to this unnamed woman, Jesus becomes both father and healer. What Mark wants us to know is that whatever we lack, however weak we might be, Jesus becomes to us what we lack, what we need. To the lonely, Jesus becomes a friend. To the fatherless, Jesus becomes a father. To the poor, he is riches. That's our God, that's Jesus. And so Jesus says, go in peace and be freed from your suffering. 
By the way, people from Jewish and Islamic backgrounds will see something that you and I don't see quite as quickly. Uh, so this is a great story to share with your Islamic friends because uh, it is so different than their understanding of God. You, you have this woman who is unclean and, and defiled, touching someone everyone regards as a holy man. Well, what happens in Jewish law or in the Islamic faith when an unclean thing touches a clean thing, the clean thing is made dirty. It gets defiled by the unclean. Think of it this way. Okay, when I'm well, you know, physically well, I don't think of you being well at the same time, right? Uh, it, it just is. And if I'm sick, right, I don't think that you being well is going to rub off on me. Quite the opposite. My being sick can cause the well person to become sick, right? You know what I mean? We don't say, hey, my kid is sick, so I think I'll drop him off at the nursery with all those well kids so that their wellness rubs off on them. If you think that way, please don't come to Fort City, okay? Just saying. But, but in this Jesus story, and, and, and this is shocking, when, when the unclean teaches the clean, when the sick touches the one who is well, she becomes clean and healthy. Friends, this is the gospel. This is the good news that Jesus brought to the world. Jesus purchased our healing, our wholeness. He makes us well because of what he did on the cross. Isaiah the prophet says, by his stripes, we are healed. We touch Jesus in faith. And the guilt and the penalty of our sin is passed on to him. And his wholeness and purity passes into us. That's core to what we believe as Christians. But then what about Jairus? This woman is cut in front of the line, bumped Jairus out of the line. All this is great for the woman, but, you know, kind of poor for Jairus. I mean, the story started out with him pleading to Jesus because his daughter was at death's door. And Jesus lets this woman cut in the line when his daughter is about to die. And when you think about this woman, she's, she's had this, like, for 12 years. Um, she can wait a little longer, Right? It's life and death for Jairus' daughter. And so Mark continues. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, uh, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Can you imagine the devastation that was swept over Jairus at that point and maybe even anger at the woman who cut in front of the line and anger at Jesus for letting her do it? The emotion at this point must be through the roof. And I imagine Jarius is now feeling hopeless. He probably agrees with the guys who brought the bad news. Why bother? She's dead. It's over. Do you know how many potential miracles, how many potential answers to prayer have died with the thought, why bother? Friends, here's the truth about Jesus. It's never, never too late with Jesus. It's always time. It's always okay to bother Jesus. Overhearing what they said, Jesus told them, don't be afraid, just believe. He, he did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And when they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all the commotion and wailing? Hey, as a pastor, by far some of my worst moments are being with someone after their child has died. So, so devastating. 
And then Jesus, in this situation, walks in while people are wailing and crying at such a devastating loss. Jesus looks at them and says, Hey, why are you crying? This is a cringeworthy moment. This has got to feel a bit insensitive to the people in that house, to to Jairus' family. And, And then Jesus goes on, The child is not dead, but asleep. And they laughed at him. This laugh, I imagine, is really bitter scorn. It's, it's like they're saying to Jesus, you insensitive fool. Well, he put them all out. He, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with them, and he went into where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which literally, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. By the way, Mark is writing in Greek but he decides to leave two words untranslated that would have been in the spoken language of the people of Jesus, Aramaic. He wants to draw our attention to the actual words that Jesus spoke because they're powerful. Because Talitha is a very tender term in Aramaic that that can mean sweetheart. And kum just means get up. The words are tender and, and gentle, ever so gentle. Jesus says, sweetheart, get up. Jesus, he's facing the most devastating, feared enemy that the human race has ever known, death. And he treats it like he's waking a girl up from a little nap. Immediately, the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. Yeah, I'd be astonished, right? Okay, so that's the story. Isn't it just an amazing story? One story, two amazing contrasting miracles where Jesus loves and heals and cares for those who are in power and authority and equally those in poverty who are unknown and unwanted. In fact, Jesus lets the nobody cut to the front of the line. He he doesn't neglect the guy with power and authority. He just lets that woman who has nothing, who is so desperate as well, he lets her steal his attention. This is such an awesome story that shows us how Jesus works in our everyday lives, how how Jesus wants us to approach him with our problems. It's okay to push your way to Jesus, really. And it's okay to pour out emotion to Jesus. And, And notice as well, faith and fear are mingled together in both miracles. It's not all faith. We don't know how much faith, just a little faith really, and and some fear. But what we see is that a little faith engages a power from God, a, a power that is not available until you depend on it, until you passionately seek it. The woman risked everything on the belief with faith that Jesus would help would help her, and he did. In the Gospels, you know, when you read through them, Jesus never turned anyone away who came to him in faith. Now I know, God is not a genie in a bottle where you rub him with faith and you get whatever you wish. But we see in these stories about Jesus that faith engages a power from God that is not there until you believe. And remember, it is Peter who is telling these stories to Mark. And Peter experienced the reality of how faith works himself. Some of you will remember the story of him walking on water. At the call of Jesus, he had the faith to get out of the boat and he experienced the power holding him up until he took his eyes off of Jesus and thought, wow, this is impossible. That's when he sunk. 
And that's when Jesus once again miraculously brought him up out of the water. And I'll say it again. Jesus never turned anyone away who came to him for help. Not a single person. King David had the same experience with God. He writes, Lord, you have never forsaken those who seek you. Now, God may not always do it the way you think that he should do it. Part of our trust is saying your way is better. But you can be sure that he is working flawlessly in your situation. That he will hold you up above the waves of destruction that can come crashing into your life. Maybe you're like Jarius, feeling hopeless about your situation. Your family, your addiction, your finances, your health, your future. So that you just go, why bother? I'll I'll tell you why bother. Because you have a savior, Jesus, who is right there with you. And you can reach out and touch him. His tenderness towards you is deeper and higher than you could ever imagine. Has it been 12 years and still no answer? Keep knocking. Keep asking. Don't stop believing. And and no matter who you are, from an unknown and broken individual to the affluent and well-known, Jesus loves you and Jesus invites you to come to him, to touch him, so that you can experience his power flow from him to you in whatever situation you're in. Friends, oh, how he loves us. How he's made a way for us through Jesus to become whole, healed people now and forever. And because of the cross, we we can experience more and more of that wholeness even today. You just got to ask. Passionately ask. Would you bow with me for a time of prayer? Oh, Jesus. Oh, how you love us. How you love us. And how you love to pour your healing compassion into our lives. I pray for each and every person here this morning that you, Lord God, as they reach out to you, that you would touch them at their point of need. Oh God, would you bring healing? Oh God, would you give us strength and deliver us from our addictions? And at the same time, help us to make wise choices, to live with freedom. But as we make those wise choices, We pray for that supernatural boost as we seek to clean up what's messed up and broken in our lives. Thank you that it doesn't matter who we are, rich or poor, known or unknown, we matter to you. And Father God, I pray that each person in this room would surrender their lives to you and to your loving leadership. And you can do that right now. You can just just tell them, God, I surrender. I want you to be the Lord, the leader of my life. Just, Just tell them that right now. And I pray that you would fill and empower us with your life-transforming Holy Spirit, that, that we would live lives that flourish and that shine bright, that help other people flourish. Again, just invite the Holy Spirit to fill and empower you, to change and to make a difference. Just invite the Holy Spirit to empower you. Thank you, Lord, for raising Jairus' daughter from the dead and healing that woman with that uncontrolled menstrual flow. Thank you for the healing and wholeness that you want to bring to our lives. We pray all this in Jesus' name.